Hi, welcome to the Midtown Vineyard Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us online. For daily encouragement, events, service times, and more, check out our website and social media. And now, this week's message. All right, so women, ladies, sisters here, you want to be here the evening of March 24th, and then throughout the day on the 25th, you want to invite your friends. This time is for you. It's for us, and God is going to do incredible things. We're going to worship together. We're going to experience the conference. We're going to eat together. Who does not like that? Um, It's going to be awesome. You can register on your app today. If you need help, you can see um, someone in the lobby will help you get signed up. Invite your friends from all over the community. We want to have you here. Um, God's already doing tremendous things through our our if table lunches, but we're going to see what he does um, coming into this conference and out of it. So sign up today. You don't want to miss it. Um, So let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Father, we thank you what you're already doing here by the outpouring of your Holy Spirit and your glory. And we pray now, Father, that you would continue to speak to us, Father, and uh, let our hearts be transformed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm Jane, and I'm excited to come to you as part of the series we've had in the Old Testament with the Old Testament stories um, to keep digging in. Now, I'll tell you, we're going to dig into Esther today, and it's going to be super fun. As I was thinking about Esther and how we've been looking at all these accounts from the Bible uh, from how did we learn them as kids or in Veggie Tales? The other day I was over there and I was watching um, Esther Veggie Tales. They have one. And she's called Essie in that, if you want to know. And I was listening to it and Ross leaned over. He goes, are you watching Veggie Tales? I'm like, yeah. And so we both were watching Veggie Tales. It was super fun. But we're drawn into those stories and the color and, and the dancing and the music. And it made me think about um, something I'm going to share with you about myself that might not be complimentary. But I've always loved princesses since I was a little girl. I mean, they have the most beautiful dresses and they come in all kinds of colors. They always have perfect hair and perfect face and everything's perfect about them. They usually have something glittering on their head if they're a princess or queen, a tiara or her crown. And as a little girl, like I was mesmerized by all of those stories. I grew up in Florida a few hours from the most magical place on earth. And so as I grew up, I was well acquainted with these princesses. And every time my family would take me from the time I was two till old. Uh, I was marveled how beautiful. And then when the parade came and Cinderella was in her magic carriage and the glass slipper and all those things, I thought, man, maybe I can be a princess when I grow up. It hasn't happened yet. (laughs) There's always hope. There's always hope along the way. Um, I can say sometimes my story might resemble the early part of Cinderella's uh, life as we're trying to keep care of the house. But so far, no carriage or glass slipper. I did have a tiara once, however, but it's not the full princess thing. Sometimes we brush off these stories because, oh, they're made up. They're fairy tales. And when we get older and life happens, 
Like we get sick or we have hard jobs and life just not quite how we dreamed it to be when we're younger. We're like, those things are nonsense. Like that's never going to happen, right? We are looking for outcomes to change and favorable events along the way. In our culture, we've watched royalty come to be that didn't come from royal beginnings. And often when there's a wedding over in England, all eyes are on that. Do you remember um, when Diana and Charles got married? I was nine. I was vacationing at my grandmother's that summer, and I was up like four o'clock in the morning, like watching it all day long. I just couldn't get over like her dress and the veil and the carriages. How did how does it work over there? A lot different than us. And though she had a pretty t- tragic ending, I think a lot of us remember mostly the wedding and the pomp and the circumstance and the beauty. Today, we're going to visit with Esther, as I said, who started just as Esther, but ended up a queen. Her life had different trajectory. It started pretty low, but ended pretty big. And unlike Diana's life, it was it was all for God's glory, although God used Diana, but God used Esther for the saving of his people. And her life didn't start out in a way that you would think she would be used for the saving of his people. There's a verse in there that we might be familiar with from Esther um, 4.14. Who knows but but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? A lot of us know that verse, and we prayed that verse, and we've cried over that verse, but we're going to back up because that's kind of found in the middle of her life when God's getting ready to do some big stuff. But we need to back up. Before we go there, something you may or may not know is that God, the word God, or even Yahweh, Yahweh in the Old Testament, is not mentioned one time in the book of Esther. He's not referenced. His spirit's not referenced. Nothing. So you're like, why in the world is Esther in the Bible? Because God's fingerprints are all over it. And as we dig in, you're going to see how God moved people and he used events and he he knew what was coming and he knew who needed to be there to save his people. The people themselves didn't know that at the time, but God did. And so we see that throughout, just like in our lives, right? Sometimes we go through seasons or days or the wilderness and we think, I can't see God. I can't hear God. I don't know if God is here But just as he was very present in the time of Esther, he's very present with us. He's very present with us now. He's very present when you're at home or when you're at work, you're out and about. We get in those seasons, we're like, where are you, God, right? Where are you in the midst of this season or circumstances? And and kind of like Esther, we live in a culture that is largely pagan or not following Jesus, right? The Jews were in Persia, we're going to get to that in just a second, not a godly place. They were there. We're here, and we're looking around us, and we're like, what is happening? This isn't godly. And God's like, hey, I'm going to use you, and I'm very much here. He's not unaware of our circumstances. He wasn't unaware of his people's circumstances, and he knows what's going to happen tomorrow. So the truth is, though, we 
may believe, but we don't always hear or see God, he's very much present. And someone this morning needs to hear that today. God is very much present in you and with you, even though you might not feel him at this time. The first chapter of Esther, we need to to find Esther first, and that is a challenge. So first, if you don't have your Bible, uh, we have one for you. Um, Skip's in, or Jay's in the back with the Bible. He's going to bring it to you. This is for yours to keep, or you can look it up on your device. Just make sure you kind of silence the notifications. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. And uh, we're going to set the scene before we get, dig in. It's after all the first and seconds in the Old Testament, Ezra, Nehemiah, then Esther. If you get to Job, it's too far. So back up to Esther. So King Xerxes, this is one of the kings that you find right in the Bible and in world history. He was one of the most powerful kings in Persian history. He was over the entire Persian empire, which encompassed 127 provinces. He was pagan. His empire was pagan. He was powerful. He was prideful. He was rich. Everyone looked to him. He flaunted it above and before everyone. It's important for us to know because with one word, that king could say you're going to live or you're going to die. Not only you, but huge groups of people. He had that much power. And so we're going to start in Esther 1, verses 1 through 3. So you can kind of know who we're dealing with. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. He had not only a banquet, but he'd had a festival for six months and then a banquet lasting six weeks. This time of Esther takes a period over 10 years, which I think is really important. If you're like me, maybe you're not, but when I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading like it's every day, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's not, it's over 10 years. And so he's ruling during this time. He's holding a banquet They are having lots of wine and lots of rich food. At the same time, his then Queen Vashti was holding a banquet for the women, also wine and food. And the king says, hey, guys, wait till you meet the queen. And so he sent word to the queen. He's like, I need you to come here. And Queen Vashti was like, not today. She's like, I'm not coming. She sent that word back to the king. He was in that she would not come to be shown off with all the men and the royals of the province. And he was so angry. And what came of that is one of our first fingerprints of God because he was angry and he consulted with his lawyers and all that stuff. And they're like, well, the only thing to do is to get rid of her. And so Vashti off the throne. And then they're like, well, okay, Well, we don't have a queen now, right? And so we're going to hear that they decided to do a search over all the provinces to find his queen. But before we go there, let's stop to keep in mind what we just saw. Before Esther even enters the scene, Vashti says no, she's taken off the throne. So a job opening appears, right? 
King Xerxes needs a queen. That would not have happened had Vashti not responded to the king in that way. So God would have already known what was going to happen for his people, which we'll learn would be certain annihilation. They didn't know it. Mordecai, who you're going to meet, didn't know it. Esther, who you're going to meet, didn't know it. Nobody knew it. God did. And so this job happening um, opened up. God had a way, he said, all right, so they sent out word over this entire land, go gather all of the young virgins and bring them to the king, go get them, and we're going to hear that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed. He's like, they're like, hey, here's a good idea. Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young women who please the king um, be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he, and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, super important, here comes Esther, among those taken captive with Jehoshash, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought into the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken into the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place of the harem. All right, let's break this down. Esther had been orphaned. She was a Jew. They were exiled to Persia. Mordecai took her in as his daughter. The edict goes out to get all the young versions. And it said several. They're probably talking about 400 women that they went out. They didn't ask, hey, do you want to come to the king's palace? These women were taken to the king's palace against their will, most likely, because they knew if they were not chosen to be the queen, they would spend the rest of their days in the palace, probably never seeing the king or seeing the king again, and then they would not be married to anyone else other than the king, even though they don't see him, and they probably would never have children. They were taken captive. This is not the part that's emphasized in our children's telling of Esther. They were taken against their will. They were going to live in captivity the rest of their lives, probably young teen girls forever. And yet, we see God here in so many ways. But before we go there, how do we relate to that? We pretty much go where we want to go according to our own free will or what's demanded of us. But there are things in our lives, in our hearts, that tr the enemy uses to keep us captive. 
He might use stuff from our past that makes us feel less than or things people said to us, or he might use um, sin in our life that we've already confessed and received and received forgiveness, but the enemy keeps bringing it up in our faces. Or he may use all this stinking thinking, that's a deep theological term, stinking thinking that we have about ourselves. Like you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. No one's going to listen to you. All that stuff. But we get literally taken in captivity because it freezes us and growing in our relationship with Jesus and doing what he's called us to do. In my life, that was kind of pointed out several years ago that something from my childhood, stinking thinking, from stuff said when I was a childhood, still old, was holding me captive. And so my friend was like, you need to like write that down. Like, that's a lie. That's not true. That's not what the Lord says about you or who you are. Write that down and then look in the Bible to find what, out, what God says about that. And then you have freedom. And this was after years of being a Christ follower and serving in ministry that I was finally dealing with this. And it wasn't easy. It was hard because nobody really wants to remember that stuff. But we got to get it out of us so that the enemy can't use it to hold us captive anymore. To be free. Jesus is all about freedom and redemption and, and being made again in his image. And that's what he wants for us. And there might be someone here today in captivity from something that's happened or a relationship or a job or stinking thinking from anywhere. And the enemy's holding you bondage in that. And that is not God's best. That's not God's will for us. So we'll have an opportunity to bring it to him and say, God, I want to be released from that. I want to be out of that. And while we're in it, sometimes we're like, God, do you hear my cry? Like, I'm telling you all this stuff. And he's like, you got to go deeper. He hears us. But sometimes he's like, you got to pour all of it out to me. I want it. I've already taken it on the cross. Give it to me. And you're like, God, this is not what I hoped for. How did I get here? I've thought that several times in my life. You've ever thought, how in the world did I get here, God? But he hears that. He hears our cry. And he's like, I'm going to show you the way to freedom and wholeness and praising me and sharing my word. Now, he'll also use people in our lives. He can use pagan or people that don't know Jesus. He can have them give us favor when need be, which he did with the king in Esther. Remember, that king was not Jewish. He did not know God, but God still worked through him. Esther 2.17 says this. Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. How awesome would that be? Can you imagine Esther? Now, her cousin Mordecai had said, don't tell anyone that you're a child of God, that you're a Jew. So she's just going in, taking captive. God has man find favor. All of a sudden, she's a queen. She's crowned. There's a banquet. There's a holiday. That would be exciting. 
but we're going to learn why he was positioning her for his purposes. He was positioning Esther to have someone inside the kingdom. God was very aware of her circumstances. He let it happen so that he could use her for his plans and purposes. And sometimes things happen or are allowed to happen so that his greater purpose can be shown through. So for her, it would be ultimately saving all the Jewish people from annihilation. She did not know that then. She had no idea. But she was there, and she was a queen, and there was a party. <laughs> so now it's going to get pretty interesting. You already kind of met Mordecai, Esther's cousin. He's a good guy. He sat outside the gates because he was worried about his cousin. There is a bad guy. His name is Haman. This is like a movie, but it's real life. Haman was an officer of the king, and he wanted all the pomp and circumstance that came with that. He wanted people to bow down before him. And so when he went past Mordecai, Mordecai is like, no way, Jose. I am not bowing down to you. And every time that happened, Haman got angrier and angrier and angrier. He couldn't believe someone would refuse to bow down to him. And so finally he's like, I'm not only going to kill this guy, I'm going to kill all of the Jewish people. And so he went to the king and he talked the king into having an edict that they'd kill all the Jewish people. Well, before that, Mordecai had sent word to the king that he heard of people wanting to kill him. And so the king's going to remember that. And Mordecai is going to have great, great favor. Mordecai was then sent word to Esther. And he said, listen, sister, you're the only one that can save these people. You're the only one that gives the Jewish people a chance. Without you, we're all going to die. Esther was saying, no, I can't go to the king if I'm not invited because then I'm going to die. She's like, I can't go. I, he could kill me right in his presence. And so Mordecai sent this word in Esther 4, verses 13 to 14. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you are alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai's like, now's the time to play your Jewish card. You're the only one. He did say, if you don't do it, the Jews are going to be saved, but you're going to die. He's like, you can do what you want, but I'm telling you, the best thing for you is to go see the king. And so she was she willing to risk her life for these people? She had it made in the kingdom. She had everything she could ever want. She was treated better than any of the other, any other women in the kingdom. She already had a holiday after her. She had all the jewels. She had all the wealth. Was she willing to give that up and her life? for her of her position to serve God. Sometimes God asks that to us. What are you willing to give up to serve me? He's like, I want you to go talk to those people. I want you to go share Jesus. I want you to go um, talk God's truth to someone who's deeply hurting because of their circumstances or maybe even their sin. And we're like, I don't want to do that. They might not like me or it might affect my job or it might affect my household what is it 
What are we willing to do? In Esther 4, 15 to 16, Esther sent a reply. She finally kind of got her head about her. And he, she said, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So first, did you hear? She said, fast and pray. You go tell all the Jews to fast and pray. I'm going to have all these people fast and pray, which is pretty incredible because they likely were not Jewish within the kingdom. And yet she was having them fast and pray. And she's like, if I die because of this, I will die. So finally, she's like, she could see that she had position with the king. She's the only Jew that could have face-to-face with the king, the only Jew in the land, and only by God putting her there through all the series of events. What about you and me? Why has God put you and me here in 2023? How has he positioned us within this culture of choices and lives far from what the Bible teaches us? being accepted as truth. He's like, you are here for a purpose. There's a reason you're here in 2023 and not in 1950 or 1850 or 1750 or any of the generations before. There's a reason you're here now. Why has God put us here now to carry the news of Jesus into the world? What about us? Number one, Our lives might not ever work out like the fairy tale set many of us have read or superhero stories for that nature, but God is aware of and can use every single circumstance and person for his good, his plans, and his purposes. He is not unaware. And we see through Esther that he can even use those that don't love him or don't believe in him. He used the king for his purposes. He can use people in our lives that don't follow Jesus for his purposes. And sometimes we need to be aware of that because we think, oh, I'm just in a bad place. Nobody here follows Jesus. God can still, he can use anybody. He is God. He is on the throne. He can use them to give you the favor that you need or the position that you need or the placement that you need because he alone knows what we need tomorrow. Two, Though we're attacked from every side by the enemy who desires to destroy and annihilate us, God's not going to let that happen. Someone here needs to know that today. You might feel like you are attacked on every side of you and up and underneath you, and you're like, I am growing weary of this battle and weary of this war, and I'm losing in it. The truth is Jesus has won that war. He has won that battle. There is nothing you're here struggling with that he is not unaware of, and he already has victory because of Jesus dying on the cross and and rising again. We don't have to live in those battles. We don't have to live in captivity. Jesus says, get out. You have freedom. Break off the chains. Like we sang earlier, run out of that grave. You're not there anymore because I went before you. Three, we're often blessed in the process of God fulfilling his plans and purposes for his people and his kingdom. Esther was blessed. So many things could have happened to her from the time she was orphaned, but God put her under Mordecai's care. Some bad stuff could have happened then. 
could have happened to her when she was brought into the palace in the concubines and the harem. But God took care of her, protected her, and even blessed her. Remember the party for her? Remember that she lived probably better than any woman in the palace? God took care of her. He blessed her. He used her for his purposes, but she was blessed. So oftentimes we are blessed in the midst of God's purposes. When we're obedient, God's always looking out for us. He's always taking care of us. He's always throwing a party for us because he loves you and he loves me. Fourth, God can use any position we're in, but we need to submit surrender and be obedient to him we need to say you're god i'm not cry out to him when we need to cry out to him don't hold anything back let him work in our lives and change our position and use them show us the way hear his voice and so today we have that time we have time to Take some of that stuff and work it out. Don't leave this place. If you feel like you're in captivity or in a battle or in a war, don't leave this place without first coming to God and saying, I need you to show me the way. I want to feel that victory. Or maybe you're further on in Esther's life and he's calling you to do something or speak something or go someplace. And you've been hesitant because you're like, I might die because of it. At least figuratively, I might lose a relationship. I might lose my job. I might be made fun of at school or in the neighborhood or whatever it is. God's wanting us to get to the other side and say, you know what? I'm going to go. And if I perish, I perish. If I lose a relationship, I'd rather do that than disobey God. So where are we today during this time of, of ministry, reflection, and prayer? In a few moments, we're going to leave this place, and the world's going to get crazy for many of us in this room. Our middle schooler and high schoolers are going to come back super soon. I have one on that trip. I'm ready for them to come back, but things get crazy when they come back. We all know that, right? This is your opportunity don't rob yourself of it by leaving early. Come if you want a tangible way to just speak to God. You can light a candle here. There's nothing magic in it. Just sometimes we feel like we want to do something. Or come and pray at one of our kneelers or pray at your seat or pray with someone. Or you're invited to go over to this table with white. It has communion and there's a guided prayer there. Take communion for yourself or with friends or with family. But allow the Holy Spirit to do that work with you, to set you free from captivity, to propel you into God's will for you. Today, let his glory reign. So let's pray. Holy God, you are so good to us. Lord, what we read in the Bible is so much better than the fairy tales we read as children. It's real. It's real stuff. It's real life and death and people experiencing high levels of captivity, challenge, and their call to follow you like Esther did. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray for the person or people here struggling in their own captivity that they would hear the truth 
that you have set them free and live in that freedom. Name the lie and name your truth. For the person or people struggling that you've called them to go somewhere or do something or speak something, but they've been hesitant out of fear of what will happen, oh, Holy Spirit, propel them that obedience to you is so much, the risk is worth so much more than disobeying you. God, thank you for bringing us here at this time in 2023 in this culture that astounds us every day. Sometimes we might feel like, like we're the outcast, but you placed us here at this time to know you and make you known to the peoples around us. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in this place as we respond to you. Thank you again for joining us online. We hope you enjoyed the message. To connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on who we are, check out our website, midtownvineyardchurch.com. We'd love to hear from you. Make sure you leave us a review or drop us a comment. Until next time, have a great day.